1: with a heap of moldering bones, the complete skeleton of a small human being shut tight in an oaken chest in an abandoned and decaying log house. If our eyes will just be created you know, a slightly different from what they are, we'd be we talking we shit names of ours.
2: brief recap. Okay. So we're talking about Jenny Beam, who was a not quite... Two-year-old. Who disappeared on July 28th, 1925. And we talked about how you found out about Jenny.
3: Yeah, based on the memorial card that my friend had purchased.
2: And what we didn't talk about, which is pretty neat, is the area she purchased it was not very far from... Where Jenny lived,
3: yeah, and I think that probably has something to do with the fact that the the person who had received this memorial card and the other, the bulk of the other cards in the lot that she got, was a relative of Jenny's.
2: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, were you able to? Yeah, genealogical uh, yep. detective
3: work there. Mm-hmm. So I imagine all, nearly everyone that I've researched so far has stayed in that area,
2: and we talked about Jenny's family a little bit.
3: Yeah, her- at the
2: time she had two older sisters yep
3: and a mother and a father who worked on a farm and she was lost in a fairly rural area
2: yeah we talked about the area where she lived Mm -hmm. which was i mean once again the state is a beautiful rural area in the mountains of berks county
3: very small place
2: in terms of population. Yeah and
3: and also potential traffic in 1925. Exactly. One of those small sort of insular areas where everyone's related to one another and it's either very simple to keep secrets or very difficult. (laughs) Yeah and
2: we talked about the few details we do know about Jenny's disappearance where she was seen last she was seen along the road. Mm -hmm. So
3: we know going into this because it's a memorial card that even though the search starts that Tuesday, that eventually there's going to be...
2: Yeah, I think everybody understands it's, yeah, it's, it's it. Yeah, it doesn't end well. <laughs> it's not a happy ending to the story we're going to hear. I'm not sure if any of the articles we presented last time mentioned the well.
3: Oh uh, Yeah, I don't know if it was one we presented or not, but there that was one of the places that they were searching, and we actually found a well, which was like, I'd say, what, less than a mile from her house? Oh, Maybe half mile. Yeah, half mile. I think at, at most. Yeah, and it was uh, very obviously an old well because it was old made well out of and the it same. Was big. Yeah,
2: like most of the wells you see, like I we had a hand dug well on the mm-hmm. farm where I grew up, and it was not I, that big.
3: I wonder if this was to serve the entire town, like if people went to get fresh water there, possibly, possibly. for a long but time. The, the
2: well's still there. We saw it. Yeah, I mean, we could have walked up to it. If we, wanted I mean,
3: that to I think it. to me that would be like one of the first places I would check, and, yeah. and maybe just from you know growing up in the eighties. <laughs> You know, when we thought kids getting stuck in wells were uh, a distinct possibility. (laughs) (laughs) It happened. Yeah.
2: And we left off with this sort of cliffhanger.
3: Yeah, like, this is the thing I thought, like, I'm not a cop. I'm not a cop in 1925. But when we said, oh, this is the second mysterious disappearance of a child from this household in the past few years. To me, that would be like a major clue, right? (laughs) And that was this boy named Floyd Holland. So he was staying with the Beam family. He was uh, a neighbor of sorts. He must have known them in some capacity and was staying there.
2: And they took him in, basically.
3: Yeah, they took him in. He He didn't have a great family situation, so we'll go into that a little bit more. But he went missing from the Beam home. In the middle of the night and was never heard from again, according to the article. According to the article. Well, let's play the articles. Okay.
1: Child missing at Evansville. County detective is called to scene. Search continues. The residents of Evansville, the cement manufacturing center of Berks County, are much wrought up over the mysterious disappearance of ten-year-old Floyd Hollenbach from his home that place Sunday morning. The lad was sent on an errand about ten o'clock in the morning to Moldtown, a short distance away by his parents to make several purchases at a store and was given a basket to carry his packages in. He failed to return at the usual time when making this trip, which is several times a week, when the family became apprehensive and started out on a search for the boy. They found the basket along the road between Evansville and Moltown, and learned later that the lad never reached his destination. County Detective Joel Crick was notified, and immediately started out the search for the missing child, and the police were given a good description of the boy, but up to an early hour this morning, no trace of him could be found. There is a large foreign population in the vicinity of Evansville who are mostly employed at the cement works there, and Detective Crick searched every home, but could find no clue to the child's whereabouts. The search will be continued today.
4: Right right side.
2: the article we played at the end of episode one that said he disappeared and was never heard from again. Yeah. This, this, the article we just played just says he disappeared. That was the original article, Mm -hmm. but he was heard from again. Yeah. Before the Jenny beam situation, he was heard from again
3: a few months previous, but I think it's probably better to go back and kind of talk a little bit about his entire family situation and how this wasn't the first time or the second time or even the third time he escaped from his living situation. So, who was Floyd Hollenbach? He was a boy who was born into a family. According to the census records, he was the seventh child, uh, the fourth living of Cora and Henry Hollenbach. His mother died when he was quite young, he and his siblings at various times were sent to live with aunts and uncles. For a time when he's 10 years old, he serves as a servant in someone's house. At 10. At 10, yeah. And this is the thing that I think is probably the most crucial part of this. His sister, who was about 19 at the time, and I think the quote is something like this, proffers a charge against her father for which he served several years in jail. Oof.
2: And... So I... This makes my joke i wanted to do very awkward i was going to ask you if there were indeed any holland back girls
3: there were <laughs> yes
2: so she was a holland back girl
3: yes there he had three older sisters it would
2: be inaccurate to say there ain't no holland back
3: girls no there there were okay. and
2: I'm, I'm sorry for that everyone <laughs> um No, not to make light of that. She filed a charge against her.
3: Yeah, it's unclear uh, what the particular nature of it is, but other articles talk about his angry nature or his abusive nature. I don't know what the nature of the abuse is or what the nature of the charge was, but he did spend two years, at least two years, in the Brooks County Jail. So he went to jail. See, this is important to point out. Mm -hmm. You could
2: really beat the stuffing out of your kids in 1925 and not... Yeah, this was
3: 1919, I think, is when he went to jail. Yeah, well,
2: so in the early 1900s. Yeah,
3: it was fine to to abuse your children. (laughs) You could beat the heck out of your kids and Mm -hmm. not get in trouble
2: for it. Your kids could show up to school with bruises and broken bones even, Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't get in trouble for it because spare the rod, spoil the child. It Mm -hmm. was just the way things were.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Whatever he did must have been pretty bad.
3: And he bled guilty to it.
2: He bled guilty to it. Wow. Mm
3: So it must have been some sort of overwhelming evidence. There's an article about Floyd when he's about 10 years old. I'm not sure if at this time he's working for someone else or he's uh, at a friend's house or whatever, but he just disappears on. He has a job he's supposed to be doing at this point in time. I don't know if it's errands for his family or what, but he just disappears. Mm -hmm. He runs away. This is
2: before he was with the Beams.
3: Yes, when he's about, about 10 years old. And... There's a police report. They're looking for him. They describe him, and then they eventually find him at a neighbor's home. My suspicion is this happened a lot. He's trying to get away from the situation he was in.
2: Yeah, it doesn't sound like a great family life.
3: No. (laughs) He's separated from his siblings. They're not staying in the same place he is. He has no stability. Wow. And then the very curious thing is that the last that we hear of Floyd... Not in uh, relation to the Beam family, but just generally what I was able to find. He didn't just disappear in the night. He went somewhere of where I don't know. But the last thing that we found in the paper is an article that he's in jail, at the, in the local jail, and someone helps him escape. He was supposed to, His father was supposed to come and get him out of jail when he's 15, and when they get there, someone has let him out.
2: Is that the article we have?
3: About yes, that's the, the last article. That happens two months before jenny goes missing
2: okay we'll play that article here
1: (laughs) runaway youth is at large police of entire section asked to be on lookout for missing lad police of mount carmel as well as police departments throughout the entire section were asked by Danville police force to be on the lookout for fifteen-year-old Floyd Hollenbach of Blandon, near Redding, who escaped from the jail at Danville in a mysterious manner. The runaway boy was being held there pending the arrival of his father. When Chief Mincemoyer went to the jail, he found everything orderly, but when he arrived at the youth's cell, he was missing. The general opinion is that someone not in authority has a key to the jail and allowed the youngster his freedom. Floyd weighs about 90 pounds, is about 5 feet tall, and is attired in a heavy gray suit. He wore knicker stockings and brown shoes. He has light hair, round smooth face, and clear skin, and is of German descent. Mm-hmm.
4: Shine through the pines while no oh, hawk sleeps, Let us creep through the veil. You're a cowboy lover, your heart will
5: come
4: up. Don't hesitate; it is late. his wait for you and me by the tree in the vale. Here countdown beating let's hit the trail my friend is dear say you will go dear from your side i never part every trail leads
5: to
3: your at one point he's living with day. his aunt and uncle and that's the last that I can find of him conclusively and that's the 1930 census
2: it's interesting though that the paper says he was never heard from again. After That's after the article that has him escaping from, from jail. Do we know what he was in jail for?
3: No. And he was only 15. He was in the Danville jail awaiting being picked up by his father. And someone had a key and let him out. Let him out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was someone who felt sympathetic towards his release to his father and and got him out, or if his father had some sort of connection since he had his own criminal past and someone helped him out. My suspicion is not with Floyd.
2: Meaning you don't think he's involved in Jenny's disappearance?
3: Mm, I don't know. I, I don't know conclusively. I mean, everything is purely speculation. Well, yeah. Yeah, but I would say... If you are just thinking a bit about people who had a potential relation to the family and a history of violence, I don't know that it would be Floyd that I would look to, maybe perhaps his father.
2: This is a question without an answer, but yeah. how well did his father know the beams?
3: Yeah, and I w- was there some sort of animosity over their having kind of spirited him away and taken care of him? Right. Was there animosity there? Did they have some kind of dealings on a financial level, or?
2: So I remember initially, like when you had found the, the Floyd Hollenbach story,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I think there was some suspicion on your part that he, since he escaped jail a few months before, yeah. that maybe he had come back for Jenny.
3: Yeah, and there could could be that element. And maybe this whole like disappearance in the night thing was a story that the Beams made to save face for him. And maybe they told him to leave because of they didn't like something that was going on within their family. Right. I don't know. I mean, this I mean, is I all purely, purely speculative. I am, speculation. Yeah, and I want to uh, maintain that these people are, even in the past, entirely innocent. I'm just trying to figure out why someone would do this to a little girl
2: right i mean we're just naming possible things we don't yeah. know and you there's
3: know. just a lot of things that either don't add up or are just too coincidental to overlook
2: mysteries within mysteries is yeah th- and that's what makes this story really compelling i think even though at the end of this mm-hmm. at the end of these episodes we're not going to have an answer
3: yeah I think this like in the same way I don't know if anybody else had listened to the first season of Serial I think everyone was hoping for this grand finale where they f- they find right. the, the subject of that either entirely innocent or entirely guilty or they know who the secret real murderer is and it just didn't have that kind of resolution and that's the way real life works
2: It is. Yeah. And, and this, especially with this case being so cold, I mean, this is a very, very cold case, you know, 1925, right?
3: Yeah. I don't think that it's impossible though.
2: No. And, and like you said, you know, somebody knows Mm -hmm. or knew Mm
3: -hmm.
2: it's possible. Somebody took the information to their grave with them.
3: I still think it's entirely possible that one of the theories that the police had that somebody had accidentally hit her and panicked and didn't know what to do I mean, it's possible. Yeah.
2: It's certainly possible.
3: But I don't think we talk too much about what happened when she'd supposedly died, which right. wasn't the day of, you know, that she went missing, if that was the day of an accident.
2: Well, let's put a pin in that. Okay. <laughs> Floyd Hollenbeck. We don't know much about his character, mm-hmm. his attitude, his behavior. We don't know why he was in jail at 15, was it?
3: Yeah. He could have been in jail for something entirely benign, like running away from wherever could he, have, I
2: mean. Just being an itinerant. Yeah. You know, sometimes back then you could be thrown in jail. I mean, mm-hmm. it I, looked a, like a lot of these, you know, so as I'm I'm writing my wild man books, I come across a lot of wild men that that are in no way, shape or form Bigfoot. They're just mm-hmm. normal people. Itinerants, mountain men, whatever. A lot of them end up in jail just because the law doesn't like the way they look or they mm-hmm. don't like the idea that there's a homeless guy around. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, they'll, they'll take him in, they'll cut their hair, shave them shave against their will, and put him in jail for, you know, whatever, the, disturbing the peace or whatever. I don't even think they had to come up with charges, honestly, mm-hmm. back then. They just did what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And he could have been in, in jail for that reason. So we don't know much about Floyd's character. We hope he was a, a nice young man that was had a horrible home life.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: We don't know. We hope that's all it was. But we do know his father was not a nice guy. Like we can we can yeah. say that about his father.
3: Yeah, I mean that's even written in the papers. Right. He was a, he was a violent man.
2: Right. You know, a violent guy who spent time in jail, who copped to whatever charge was awful enough to land him in jail for two years, mm-hmm. with his own kids. He was in a proximity to this family.
3: Yes, he has a relationship. He has
2: to him. a relationship. So.
3: My my thought is that if they took him in, they knew that family.
2: Right right most probably while we feel badly about saying like oh did floyd do anything i don't think we have to feel too bad about saying did floyd's father do something
3: mm-hmm. and floyd's father actually was is very traceable and was easy to find and died in the 50s mm-hmm. uh, floyd however i cannot find past the 1930 census i don't know if he died if he started going by a different name Hmm. Nor one of his sisters can I find. Nor can I find evidence of the first three children of theirs who probably died in either infancy or...
2: What, what year census was that? The
3: 1930 census is the last one I can so, find him in, so five years after Jenny dies.
2: So after 1930, there ain't no Hollenbeck girls.
3: <laughs> well, the girls are still there, but Floyd is impossible I'm to trying find. trying to make this work, and it's just not working. <laughs> no, it's a bit of a stretch. Okay, problem. I'm going to
2: stop with that. for listening to strange familiars i hope everybody's been enjoying the broken circle these episodes are a little bit different from what we normally do but we try to bring you different stuff all the time whether it's on-site recordings or interviews with authors or paranormal investigators or witnesses to the paranormal we try to mix it up and do different stuff if you like what we do and you want to help us continue to make strange familiars please consider becoming a patron go to patreon.com slash $3 a month gets you full extra episodes of strange familiars we've been trying to do two full episodes a month for our patrons but we do at least one episode one full episode every month for our patrons so lots of extra content and besides that you can get things like t-shirts, stickers and more there's different reward levels there depending on what level of support you can afford to give our patrons make Strange Familiars possible. Without our patrons, we would not be able to make the show at all. So thank you, patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. And once again, if you'd like to help, go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. must stress again what a small town this is mm-hmm. even today mm-hmm. and it's likely doubled if not quadrupled in size mm-hmm. today from what it was then so the time super small town very very small town as far as we know the police are not making any connections to this this back disappearance
3: no i mean they they just discourse. sort of offhandedly mention this
2: the newspaper mentions it yeah the police never bring it up to our knowledge
3: no they start questioning like the most absurd you know like they, they immediately go to the um
2: the gypsy theory the
3: gypsy theory they also don't seem to question they say they're questioning an older woman but they don't mention who she is Mm-hmm. They also say they're questioning there's i think I mentioned this before there's a boy who says he saw her after the little girl saw her
2: right around
3: yeah. noon. it doesn't really jive with the and he
2: the... mentions that he saw her further along like up by another field right like yeah like not, she this has, isn't the kid who saw her out of the back window No, because
3: that was a five-year-old girl this is a 12-year-old boy
2: and and like you said this at this point this is the biggest news in town yeah this so is, story, he, is this kid just chiming is oh yeah i happened? saw her too yeah we yeah. don't we don't really know i don't
3: put a lot of stock in his i mean you know to me nowadays he'd be on a list of people that were kind of suspicious right you're yeah. the last person to see her yeah exactly I don't think that, to me, I think that if there was any credence to it, he either saw someone similar, or he just wanted to be in on the story. I'd say, though, the the The, whole Floyd mystery is not the weirdest thing in the paper being reported at that time. Well, it's not,
2: and I was going to get to that, because was it just bad small-town policing, (laughs) or was was it this, like, primitive, they didn't have a good idea they didn't think of policing the way modern policemen does to make these these connections and so forth or were they doing it and we just don't we don't know about it
3: you know yeah i don't really know what they investigated we have no way of because there's something else (laughs) that happens the same week that jenny goes missing
2: and it's less than 10 miles away
3: yeah
1: Human bones discovered in old chest. Deserted Burke's log house yields clue to 20-year-old tragedy, police believe. With a heap of moldering bones, the complete skeleton of a small human being, shut tight in an oaken chest in an abandoned and decaying log house as their starting point, state police last night undertook the explanation of a tragedy at least two decades old, which may rival in gruesome thrills the tales of fictionary mystery. The house is several miles above Kleinsville. So frightened were the four hunters who discovered the chest and its horrid secret three weeks ago that they agreed to say nothing of the find. One of them broke silence yesterday evening and told his story. There were four of us, Harry Keller of Walnuttown, Town told state trooper William Burgoon last night. We found it, and it scared us, and we said it couldn't do any good to go poking around old things up that had been hidden twenty years. The four, Paul Mote, Frank Stufflet, Frank Knoll, and Keller, all of Walnut Town, were hunting groundhogs three weeks ago when they wandered to a log house, high in the mountains and deep in the forest, some distance from the farm of Edward Mott's. They shot groundhogs in the stone-walled basement of the cabin, and growing curious, Stufflet and Keller trusted their weight on the rotting stairways. "'There were three chests upstairs,' said Keller last night. Two were empty, and the third, painted red and with a heavy lid underneath, which was a layer of wallpaper, we found a heap of rotted clothes and then a skeleton. "'We ran away.' Mott and Noel, attracted by the cries of their companions, made a quick search of the attic and found an envelope addressed to Edward J. Wink, Kempton, RFD No. 1, the envelope for the postmark of 1905. Whether a man named Wink ever inhabited the cabin in the woods, Burgoon had not been able to learn last night. Believed to be skeleton of child. According to the hunters, the skeleton was about two feet long, but whether this was its actual length indicating it to be that of a very young child, or whether it had so been placed in the chest that it appeared much shorter than the individual to whom it belonged, Prugun would not hazard a guess last night. He intends a complete investigation of the premises today, and then a careful canvass of the farmers of the vicinity, to learn all that he can of the life of the township twenty years ago. A small mystery attached itself to the case last night when Burgoon talked with Stufflet. The state troopers first learned of the discovery yesterday evening by telephone. The man who called the police barracks said he was Stufflet. Stufflet denied that he had telephoned the police and insisted Keller had done so. Keller in his turn denied the call. The state police wrote a lecture to the four for withholding knowledge of their discovery. "'We have no theory of any kind yet,' said Burgoon last night. "'The skeleton may be that of a child or a small adult. "'We can determine that tomorrow and probably settle the question of the sex "'from the relative sizes of the bones. "'We have not had time to make any investigation of old mysteries. "'The possibilities of the find, according to Burgoon, "'range from the death of a child and a burial, neglected for some reason, to murder.'
3: The way I found out about that article is looking for Jenny.
2: Right. You said it was uh, proximity. The article was... uh,
3: Right next to the article about Jenny. No one mentions the weirdness of... In the same week as
2: Jenny's disappearance, these bones are found.
3: Well, they were found before, but that's when the hunters decided to reveal them. And they don't mention that they chose to come forward at this time because of Jenny, but I can't imagine there'd be any other reason. I'm thinking... They thought if they revealed this now, they wouldn't be suspects if they revealed it later.
2: I don't know. I don't know. This is... I mean, the Jenny thing's very creepy and very, very sad because mm-hmm. we, we know her name and you have the anguish of the mother and the, uh-huh. the father and their child's going... But this is creepy. The yeah. skeleton in the cabin. Mm-hmm. They don't put an age on it At sometimes they say a young child
3: sometimes they say a baby sometimes Sometimes they say say three years old
2: there's so there's these three chests in the upper floor of this this cabin
3: yeah the hunting cabin that's depending on one's painted red yeah it's very that's that's very ritual like you know what i mean so you got
2: these three chests there's three of them one's painted red they open it up
3: then they say there's, like, a layer of wallpaper yeah, or something. covering or something. Covering this. They, they o- lift
2: that up, and there's these bones of a child there. There's a, that's To me, that feels very, whether conscious or not, I'm not saying there was like uh-huh. a cult up there doing a ritual, but it it feels like a, a kind of ritual thing. You know what I mean? Like, someone put the bones in there, and they painted that chest red. That was...
3: Or they chose out of the or three they, chests, or the red chest. Or they chose the red chest. You know, it mm-hmm. seems
2: like a very very kind of ritual thing to put these, these bones in And it. with
3: both of these situations, I feel like if you were just trying to get away from a crime, they live in the middle of mountains where you could bury something and no one had the capacity to oh, yeah. ever find any evidence of Jenny or, if, or if this you body. Wanted,
2: and we mentioned several times that the swamp was only a few acres. It's not mm-hmm. miles and miles of swamp. But if you went back in there and buried something down...
3: Oh, there's woods all over the place. Yeah.
2: And, and the way that ground just sucks in with the moisture and stuff, you, you could put something in that ground and, and it would be gone.
3: Yeah, there would be, to me, the fact that someone chose to return Jenny to within a mile of her house. Right. We're getting ahead of things there. Okay. No spoilers. <laughs> or the fact that somebody saved these bones. This, somebody saved this body. In, in this cabin. Where people have
2: not lived. I think they said for five years they interviewed the people. Well, it
3: depends. Some people say it's been a long time. Some people say they kind of remember recently. To me, I think it was probably more so a hunting camp than like a physical residence. That's why the, the Hunter, I don't think the Hunters had anything to do with it. No, I don't think they did. And do I either. absolutely think because their stories are consistent. They each tell the same story, the same details. Yeah. And they were. And the fact that they admit a certain amount of vulnerability by talking about how they were scared to come forward. Right. And I don't even think, it, it doesn't appear in the articles that they were scared to come forward because they thought that they would get in trouble. It was almost like the whole thing scared them On a very personal level they were creeped out they were creeped out and the fact that they went back and thought oh maybe we're being ridiculous we should just go back you know you could look at things first and you know the blanket on the floor looks like something different from what it is and Mm -hmm. and you get in this sort of mindset of being scared and they went back and they saw the same thing
2: right They, they they went twice the second time it was still there this is so creepy whether someone was living there and that was their child, and they decided to save it for some reason, which seems a really, thats really bizarre behavior. Mm-hmm. Or someone deposited this in this abandoned cabin.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm thinking there's some obviously there's some connection between whoever put that body there and the cabin itself.
2: Sure. Yeah. Mother's Day is almost here.
0: Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So in the, in the article, it talks about a letter to an
3: edward wink that's on the floor Mm -hmm. and i looked him up and he's dead at the time that this happens he dies in like 1913 so i checked his will and his property passes to his son and his son-in-law the trail counting runs cold from there i assume one or both of them owns that property i don't know what they do with that particular house or if they have any connection to it at all
2: this cabin is no longer there right we
3: found no, that. because I think it was. They, they said it was like revolutionary. Yeah, they allude or to it being, I and mean, there's nothing like that. That's still
2: right because we were going to go look for it, and then we kind of decided we're like probably not going to find yeah. it. You know? But they they were very definite about the bones. The hunters said, "Then these are hunters, and hunters know what bones look like." Yeah, that's what they, I,
3: that made their story more. They about...
2: they said not only did they see a skull, but they saw breast bones, mm-hmm. I believe, and they were very certain about it. And, and the I believe in the one of the articles, I'm not sure if it's one of the ones that will present but they're very certain about it like i know what i saw this was bones Uh and it was human bones and they print this story
3: and they talk about it as if it's fact that they've already researched
2: and the police go to retrieve the bone
1: skeleton vanishes from scene but walnut town hunters insist they had seen it state police investigate the Kleinsville skeleton has disappeared No trace of the human bones which four Walnut Town hunters still maintained they saw in an old chest on the second floor of an unoccupied log house near Clinesville was found yesterday by state trooper Joseph Logan. There was evidence, however, of the house having been visited by others since the reported discovery of a skeleton by the hunters three weeks ago. A letter dated July 16th 1925, was found partly burned in the musty basement of the house. Police took possession of it. Has the skeleton been spirited away, or were the hunters mistaken? We are not mistaken, said Frank Knoll. We were there not once, but twice. It was there a week ago when we went for groundhogs again. So was the envelope, dated 1905. Search of the house failed to disclose the miss of yesterday. "'I'm sure it was the frame of a child,' Frank Stufflet, another of the party, declared. "'You could see the breastbones in the chest. "'Oh, no, we didn't imagine it. "'What good would it do us to lie about such a thing? "'It looked like a baby's skeleton. "'We were afraid when we saw it, but we came back last week, and it was still there. "'Although found three weeks ago, all four of the men withheld reporting the find until Sunday, "'figuring it would do no good to dig up the old thing, not knowing what it was or who.' "'They told Trooper Logan last night. "'It was their conversations with the neighbor storekeeper "'that brought it to the attention of the authorities. "'State Trooper Logan searched the entire house "'and nearby sheds yesterday afternoon. "'On the second floor of the log house, "'just as the four hunters described it, was the chest. "'Layers of dust, the accumulation of years, covered the top. "'Marks were visible, indicating it had been opened recently.' Raising the lid, the trooper found a bit of a woman's blue-and-white striped apron and a patch of blue-serge trousers. Half-eaten walnuts and torn bits of paper and cloth, the work of a nest of squirrels, littered the entire bottom of the compartments of the old oaken receptacle. A piece of wallpaper, at which the Walnutown men said covered the skeleton, lay beside the chest. But there was no skeleton. No evidence of any bones, nor decayed flesh, which the hunters said was there when they saw it. Another chest in an adjoining room was searched. It was empty. Except for a broken bottle and pieces of wood, the entire second floor revealed nothing. Spider webs, abandoned birds' nests, bits of broken window panes, and an old iron hook added an uncanny touch to the surroundings. When the upper floor failed to reveal the skeleton... The trooper and his party searched the bottom floor. An old squeaky door swung open into a dusty closet. A man's shoe, long since discarded, laid on the floor. A broken cask, bound in reed, was toppled over on its side. Lying in one corner of a room on the first floor was an old wire file holding invoices and letters dating back to 1897. "'in the name of Edward T. Wink, former owner of the place, residents about their say. "'The place is still owned by his estate, police claim. "'Search of the ground surrounding the house revealed nothing but a tumbled-down spring house, "'an old, partly filled well, and one deep one, without covers, "'into which Trooper Logan almost plunged while tramping through the heavy underbrush.' All about the house trampled weed substantiated reports that others had visited the place since the Walnut Town hunters made their weird discovery. "'I believe the men are telling the truth "'and really believe they saw what they thought was the skeleton of a child,' said Logan. "'But what could have become of it since they were here two weeks ago?' "'If it was a skeleton, then the party who placed it in the chest "'became alarmed after the men's report became public "'and decided to remove the bones before police reached the scene.' Then again, it may be that in their excitement, the imagination of the hunters carried them off, and what appeared to be the frame of a human body in the dim light of the log house was only the stuff which we found in the chest yesterday. When three of the four men, after several hours of questioning last night, still maintained that they could not have been mistaken, state police decided to have one of the hunters go with them to the mystery house and examine the chest under more favorable light. From Frank Greeby, tenant on the Edward Mertz farm several squares from the mystery house, it was learned that several parties of hunters visited the house since the Walnut Town hunters were there three weeks ago. Greeby said he did not know who the people were, but that they asked permission to cross his farm and getting to the favorite hunting grounds. Today, state trooper Logan will question the writer of a partly burned letter dated july sixteenth, nineteen twenty five which was found in the cellar of the log house during the search yesterday afternoon. This letter, he points out, shows someone visited the house after the first visit by the Walnut Town The recipient's name was burned off, but the writer's name and address remained. <laughs>
3: Someone just had a key, unlocked the door, and never heard from again.
2: Did someone read the first article, get scared, and run there before the police could get there and get those bones out of there?
3: That, to me, would seem the obvious thing.
2: The other option is even creepier, though.
3: That someone else wanted them.
2: Someone saw those hunters go in there from the woods or from some other position. Uh Uh-huh. And they knew what was in there. Someone who put those bones in there, perhaps.
3: Or they could tell something had been moved.
2: And they knew they had to get them out of there. Because some, look- someone had seen them. Like That's a even creepy. I mean, either one's creepy. Either one's yeah. creepy. But that one, to me, that idea is even creepier. Because that means those bones could have disappeared any time in those, what was it, two weeks or something before they told the police. Mm-hmm. Any time in there, those bones could have disappeared. The fact that they printed the story.
3: Before they went to The fact that the police
2: didn't go out immediately. Immediately.
3: like, Or the fact that this happened during the time when they're missing Jenny. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Like, That's
2: a whole <laughs> other thing. But the fact that the police didn't go out there immediately before they go to the press... Because the police, I'm assuming, fed the story to the press, not
3: the Yeah, because the one, of, one of the hunters called the police. Right. Yeah.
2: So before you go to the press, before you tell your buddy, Jim, the reporter for Reading News or whoever <laughs> yeah. it is, go out there and retrieve those bones, buddy. Like, this is a big failing to me. But, again, maybe they were gone already. And if they were gone from some other agency... Before that appears in the newspaper. That means someone either saw those hunters go in there, someone who knew those bones were there.
3: Or they heard tell through the town.
2: Or they heard tell through the town. Or, like you said, they could tell someone had been in there and the stuff was disturbed. They said you could see fingerprints in the dust
3: Mm -hmm.
2: on the red... um, Chest, mm-hmm. where someone had opened. Now, were the was that from the hunters opening, or, or was it you know from?
3: Yeah, and how often does it get opened?
2: Right, right. To me, the idea that someone went in there and and they didn't take the chest, they cleared the bones out.
3: Yeah, they kept the chest. They just they, took the bones. Yeah,
2: they left the and and they just the bones are gone. So these bones are gone, but these hunters are definite. You know, they're, they know what they saw. I totally believe them. They're not going to make up a story. Why'd you make up a story that to potentially get you in trouble?
3: Mm-hmm. You know? I think that they sat on it and had discussions about it and they decided they weren't going to tell anybody about it. They were going to just leave well enough alone. I mean, I think that would be a very sort of,
2: yeah, uh, uh, but I think also the, if one of them ends up telling, I think it, I think you get haunted.
3: Yeah. I think you get haunted. And then I think you read that a little girl goes missing and yeah. you think now Maybe. there's yeah yeah so now we're, we're now we're placing the deaths of two children under the age of three right in suspicious context right within a 10 mile period now
2: and these hunters said the bones look older but i mean bones are bones
3: yeah. and they were really i mean they never had a chance to even use the most primitive forensics exactly. to, to figure out how so, old they were so
2: we don't know how old the bones were in the chest We just know they were of a child, possibly a baby, possibly a toddler. Someone in the range of Jenny's age. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: Ten miles away. The only reason you found out about it is because the proximity of the article to the article in Jenny. It was right beside it in the paper.
3: (laughs) And no one said, isn't it weird that in a town of like 400 people, we've had two suspicious deaths of toddlers in the past? Right. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Like all of a sudden we got dead dead babies turning up yeah do we want do we want to connect these in any way at least
3: i mean i know they didn't watch like crime shows on tv there's even like access to like psychological profiling that's all way down the road right but just someone with a little bit of a inquisitive mind i think can put together hey it's really odd in this area to have something like this happen once in a hundred years but now it's happened twice in the same week
2: yeah (laughs) yeah exactly I mean, even if the other one happened before, the discovery yeah. of it is in the same week. They're not making these connections, at least as far as we know. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe there's some young buck detective down at the police station who's like, Hey, guys, look, well, there's two ten kids here. Maybe maybe we need to check this out. And then, and then the boss is like, Ah, Charlie. Oh,
3: it's better to leave. well enough alone. <laughs> these people know how to take care of their own. And this is Dryville. What are you thinking? <laughs> Let's close ranks and never do anything. <laughs> Let's forget the bad thing happened and soldier on. <laughs> I think I get extra pay for the old timey voice. I was not.
2: You know, and generic old timey voices. I just.
3: Well, that is how cops used to talk.
2: Right. See, <laughs> we got two dead kids. See,
3: <laughs> I'm sure they're
2: unrelated. See, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, it's n- n- it's no... probably
3: the gypsies. Did you check the gypsy? camp? <laughs>
2: Shake down the gypsies. (laughs) This skeleton is is super creepy to me. Like, that whole thing with the skeleton in the cabin is so creepy. And the letters. So
3: there's one letter. That's
2: what... Yes. We didn't discuss the letters.
3: They find one letter. They
2: find the one letter.
3: Which links mm -hmm. it to the person who owns the house, which is Edward Wink. But when
2: they come back, there's the other letter in the basement that's been burned. Yes. Somebody... Now, again, what are the chances two people came back into this abandoned cabin one to get the bones and one separately for some other reason to burn a letter in the basement right like
3: why not take it with you and burn it somewhere else i have no clue the whole thing feels like like a
2: ritual yeah the whole thing feels like the three chests in the attic The burning of the letter in the basement, the one chest painted red, it feels like a ritual. This feels like something that meant something to someone. This location meant something. Mm -hmm. Whether they live there or for whatever reason, this location meant something to them. Mm -hmm. The red chest meant something.
3: Probably, you know what I was thinking. What? And this is wild beyond wild speculation with no physical facts to back it up.
2: It's strange familiars. It's strange familiars.
3: The Hollenbachs had seven children, four of which were living at the time that right. Jenny goes missing. Three had died previously, unaccounted for. How many chests were up there?
2: <laughs> there were three. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. There's because, no, I mean, there's yeah, no, that's just... That's just... But But... The number three, the painted, the red painted chest, even that layer of wallpaper where it feels very ritually, you know, like you're like, sealing it in. Or
3: like you're taking a piece of the home.
2: Possibly. Yeah.
3: And they said there were um, remnants of fabric in with it. And I right. don't know if that's something that the child was wearing. They allude to the, the bones being 20 years old. Right. But they don't have a any. Guess, yeah. They don't, I think that's because. And
2: this burning of something in the basement, like.
3: A letter with, like, so the return address is burnt on that one, right? So they couldn't see who it was, it was from.
2: No, they saw who it was from, but they couldn't see, see who, who was it was written, written to. to. And uh, they were going to, the, the last thing they say in the article is they're going to contact whoever wrote this letter, and they didn't say who it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they kept that information out of the paper. They gave Every, everything else. Everything else away. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and then there's nothing else about that 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 we know of. Like maybe some. Yeah, other and time. you
3: know everybody in that area knows exactly where that cabin is. Oh yeah. They probably go hunting there all the time. Everybody knows so and so's yes. farm. Well, the owner
2: of the property near it said people had asked him, asked for permission to cross his lands because they were good hunting grounds wherever this cabin was. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking if you're sneaking in to take bones, you're not asking permission. You're not leaving a record.
3: No, and you know what time to go in. You there. know what
2: the yeah. Yeah.
3: So here's the interesting thing. I tried to make a physical connection between either the Beams or the Hollenbachs with the people that owned that house. And their last name was Wink. And I did find that Floyd had an uncle by marriage whose name was Wink, but not related to the Wink family who inherited that property. property. However, it is a small area and they have the same last name. I can't imagine that they are unaware of one another.
2: Right. Hmm.
3: It's that's, like that's just interesting.
2: I I wish that cabin was still there. I'd really like to like to get my eyes on that. But like we said, it's
3: yeah because they offer this really like I I get I get a, a very clear mental picture, not in like a, some sort of psychic terms, but in a very um, detail rich kind mm-hmm. of mental picture of them walking up these broken stairs and they're thinking. Hey, maybe somebody stashed some money in here. You know, that's what the hunters are thinking. Like, or let's just figure this. Li- anything? Yeah, let's see what's in this place. Yeah. And then I to think even across-
2: mentioned they were they were shooting groundhogs in the basement. basement yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: So it's definitely not a place that was used as a homestead in any kind of real capacity. No,
2: and it, if they're shooting stuff in the basement, if you're if you're checking back on this in any kind of regular way, then you will. Like that would be. Disturbance—you would mm-hmm. notice that disturbance, I would think. So,
3: I'm thinking that the only way that you could secret away a body in a chest for years and years and years is if you knew who owned the place, or you owned the place.
2: Probably, or or you just knew enough about it where you just you just knew it, it, it was, was remote enough where people are you
3: live it. next door to it.
2: Exactly. Somehow you can keep an eye on it. Yeah. I mean, my feeling is that. Like I said, it's a very ritualistic thing. It, people came back here often to this place. Whoever whoever put those bones there came back. Someone else. And it often. could
3: be in a very in a much more benign way than where we're thinking. It, it could
2: be no. It, it absolutely could be. It yeah, could, I think it, it could have, be a
3: mother who just couldn't part it, with a child. It,
2: exactly. It could, it could have been there. There's people who couldn't afford burial services, or for whatever reason. You know, it's a bizarre thing to do. It's a bizarre mm-hmm. thing to do, but maybe. You know, maybe it was, it was something like that maybe it wasn't that nefarious, and that's why you know when I say ritual, like I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily mean like a, an occult kind of ritual. I mean, like a personal. A, a per, it could be a very personal ritual. A, like you mm-hmm. said, the, the the wallpaper could just be, maybe it was wallpaper from the the baby's room or something. You know, yeah. maybe maybe it was, maybe there was some meaning to that. To you know, I was thinking like it was a kind of sealing it in. It was like another aspect of the
3: ritual. Or you could open the. You could open the container, but not see it all the time.
2: Right. Yeah. You knew it was there. Yeah. It. It just. It. just feels like such a ritual thing to me.
3: Yeah, because why wouldn't you? Even if you had a body that you were checking on that was in there like that, why wouldn't you put like a heavy blanket or something over top of it? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just.
2: Yeah. There's something. There's something
3: there. I don't but... know. I'm like to try to speculate on. But it does feel more nefarious with the burning
2: of the letter. And, yeah. all that, you know, what I mean, if
3: I just don't know why, even in those days, you wouldn't get rid of any unless you're just there in the middle of the night, just trying to get rid of stuff. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it was like a it has this element of like a almost like your own personal, you know, like in every kind of cliche serial killing movie where you go in and they've got like the shrine room right
2: yeah well that's what i'm thinking of like you know
3: yeah this is very Mm -hmm. between like some sort of like manhunter
2: meets like yeah i want to know if the chests were on the east wall these are the questions you know like yeah never have answers to like were were they on the east wall were they facing east were they
3: were all the boxes made at the same time did they have symbols on them were
2: they spaced out in any special way, you know, mm-hmm. was was you know, in it, my was mind, was the red one in the middle, and the, the There was two...
3: like amazing, like Berks County, Pennsylvania Dutch painting on the side of them, with like all the kind of just like quintessential Pennsylvania Dutch iconography on the side of them, and but they were probably just some old chests. They might have just been there anyway, like
2: like like <laughs> like uh, the the with the the hexenfoots or whatever the witches' foots, like yeah. n- nailed up in the on the. uh <laughs> On on the uh, rafters and stuff, and, but... and
3: just like hidden underneath boards were Himmel's briefs. And, and, and Exactly,
2: all this witchy stuff, just all around which they either didn't notice or just was everywhere in every rural place at that time. So, mm-hmm.
3: so... leftover Victorian hairwork hanging on the wall, made out of the flowers of the, of, mm-hmm. of the hair of the the child.
2: In the... <laughs> it, it came up in the uh, in the strange familiar's gathering group. Paul Bushini who's he's a patron and and uh, all that, he he had put up a post that he had he had gotten a copy he's in the UK mm-hmm. but he had gotten a copy of the long lost friend and he was he put up a post about it and I noticed where, that it said John George Homan Alsace Township near Reading. And we looked it up and it's it's not that far. It's,
3: it borders like the the border of Alsace ta- Township is basically right on the corner of where one of the towns where the Hollenbachs lived for a while. Yeah, so
2: it's like what, what do we say, like five miles or something? Yeah, maybe it, it's not it's, <laughs> it's not terribly far. It's
3: like the font of Powwow.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so all this stuff we're talking about, like it literally like lives right there, like Homan lived right there I'm now a hundred years before, uh-huh. but he was right there, and there's this like this is. Deep in the heart of powwow country, you know. So, the stuff we're talking about with the Himmelsbrief and the the witch's feet, mm-hmm. witch's foot, if there's more than one, witch's feet.
3: I don't know. What is it with Bigfoot? Let's just use the same vernacular. <laughs> well, there's
2: an argument about that. <laughs> <laughs> People have tried to establish the plural of Bigfoot as bigfoots uh-huh. and big feet, both of which.
3: I think it should just be Bigfoot singular again, right? just that,
2: like deer, right? All right. I insist on that. Mm. Other people insist the plural is Bigfoots or Big Feet. Both mm. of them. Sounds awful. ridiculous. Yeah. Bigfoot like deer. I'm, exactly.
3: And maybe as a, like a quick aside for people who don't live in this area, we could just touch on what powwow is. And I know we've talked about it probably before in Strange Familiars, but it's just a folk tradition of healing. Um, very, very akin to just a, like it's, a, it's a folk, faith healing. It's folk
2: magic, but it's tied in with, it's very much of a faith healing tradition it's a folk magic tradition. The three main books for it were The Long Lost Friend, Egyptian Secrets, which is attributed to Albertus Magnus. And each one of these books gets progressively a little more occulty. Long Lost Friend shares a lot with Egyptian Secrets, but there's uh, some, some more, like some deeper kind of occulty stuff in Egyptian Secrets. And if you were really, if you were a real, like, if you were dark and edgy and you were into powwow, you had the sixth and seventh books of Moses a lot of times they, they they were the they were the hex, what they would call a hex or a witch. If you had the 6th and 7th books of Moses, they were the evil. They were the bad books.
3: But I think that for the vast majority of people who practiced this it was sort of like just sort of a basic necessity. This is what, it, the people that did this became, they were like the default primary care physicians. They were the wise
2: <laughs> the wise men and cunning women yeah, in the village. Yeah, for people who couldn't afford is, medical care certain authors who have published books with little moons on the spine Mm -hmm. have claimed the powwow tradition as some kind of secret passing down of wiccan beliefs (laughs) through the centuries or something
3: uh no it's a passing it's a familial passing of knowledge but um yeah but it's grounded in religion
2: the the, the folk music the folk magic roots of this go back there is paganism in it if you go back far enough,
3: just like there is in Christian Christmas, <laughs> right, exactly.
2: exactly. But this is the people who were doing this for the most part would have identified as Christians as religious people. This was faith healing. It was done in concert with prayer, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the dark side of that is that some of what is in the longless friend is is how to protect yourself from witches, how to find witches. And how to kind of turn witches' curses back on them, and the thought in the general populace was, if you can do that, if you can find witches and turn their curses on them, well, you can also curse people. So a lot of times these pala doctors got accused of being witches themselves and mm-hmm. so forth. So this would have been woven in into the, the the culture up there. All of this does that lay the groundwork further this being more of a ritual situation, you know, in this cabin. I don't know. I'm just going with like gut feeling feels ritually to me. Mm
3: -hmm. I wish we had access to someone who was, you know, had some psychological real as opposed to speculative psychological (laughs) uh, expertise in this regard who could talk about when they find cold cases like this in such a manner, what does that usually mean? Is there a pattern there? Does right. that usually point to a family member? Does that usually point... Well, let's. Th- that's a good point. Let's talk about
2: what we know and likely suspects and et cetera, et cetera.
3: I think most of the time when a child goes missing, unfortunately, it turns towards the family.
2: Yeah. Jerry, another listener, uh-huh. another regular, don't know if he wants me to say his last name. He knows I'm talking about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, he was on, he talked about the uh, the weird lights he saw in Iceland. So he's been on, oh, okay. on the show before. Jerry pointed that out as well several times. He's That's his big issue with the, the missing 411 stuff. He says that...
3: There's an obvious explanation for a lot of it. F-
2: that, and the fact that most often, and sadly, he has pointed out several times, it it is the family. Mm-hmm. It's someone in the family. That's really uncomfortable, and it really hurts to talk about
5: Mm-hmm
2: especially in these like if it was me if I was writing the, the missing 411 books and you know I might write a missing persons mm-hmm. book at this point because the people who are writing missing people missing people books are now writing historical Bigfoot books so why not it's certainly easier to talk about some kind of supernatural other or this mysterious undescript thing than accuse families you know that's an uncomfortable and a, and a sad thing but and I
3: think that's um, where a lot of in my mind paranormal phenomenon exists it's easier to think of a third party boogeyman that's or a fiend which is what the family said a fiend took her Mm -hmm. it's easier to think that the fiend is from the outside than the fiend within
2: yeah if you're going on averages
3: I don't get that impression. I,
2: I don't either. I, I feel... and This is all based on gut feelings. From, yeah. From there's no... A hundred years into the future. We we're, have we're sitting no evidence
3: back, right. whatsoever. But my... I mean, I think of it in terms of if I'm presented with the evidence and I'm a juror in an imaginary case of my own design, what seems likely to me, and then talk to, with other people and see what seems likely to them. I don't get the impression that the family was involved. I just... I
2: feel like if... I feel like if you do that, if you disappear, your own child, you don't bring them back. No. Spoiler alert, Jenny, Jenny's body is found, and we'll, we'll get to the details of that next episode. But I don't think you you bring the body back then for, for someone to find. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. I mean, like, either you keep it in a chest somewhere in a cabin you go uh, and a, visit.
2: Yeah, painted, a chest painted red. Yeah, yeah.
3: You, you either do that or you get rid of the evidence and you just keep looking for the real killer
2: yeah right but we don't know yeah okay so family you know
3: i don't know who amongst the family i would it, suspect it doesn't make sense
2: it seems odd the the dad was working somewhere else the mom was working her Pe- sister people there. did see her out on the road yeah, it people... seems odd that that the mom or the dad presumably her her sisters weren't much older than her presumably it's not them yeah it seems odd that the mom and or the dad would run from whichever fields they're working in to go ahead and and do this and that you know it, it just seems
3: it just doesn't make sense
2: right we've got floyd hollenbeck as a possible suspect
3: there's, and at this point, there's absolutely nothing linking him other than the fact no. that he used to live at the house. And, and he was in jail and escaped. I yeah, guess. and there's weird disappearances. Right. I would also put maybe the, the last person to legitimately see who, her who was an adult, who would be the uncle of Emma, who was driving, driving the machine, car. who told a not-quite-two-year-old to just get off the road. Right. That's a little curious to me. I would also, there's also some suspects coming up in in the way that her body's found i think i would put those people on the list just people like people of interest interest. persons of interest yeah you know when you you know when you cast guilt on someone without them having any kind of
2: right don't leave town yeah look see don't leave town
3: (laughs) we got our eye on you see (laughs) but not really we think we might just close ranks and try to get on with life
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know there was a barney fife up there oh you know it like
3: yeah, ready to use that one bullet that oh, someone else kept for him.
2: Like, you, you we'll find it, this guy. Yeah, you know there was in that department. So, other than uh, casting this wild, wide net of possible suspects, and of course, F- Floyd's father, who we feel less guilty about because, yeah, because he's, if he it, was a bad guy. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like
3: if you, go, if you go to jail because of something that your your kids bring up against you, I feel like you're you a bad guy. Like, you're a bad guy, yeah. We can,
2: we can comfortably say he wasn't a nice human being.
3: Yeah. I think
2: throw him in the mix. You know, these are people that we're not saying they're guilty. These are just people that we would talk to if we, yeah. were, if we were the police officers. <laughs> we'd want to talk to. Yeah. I think I'd really want to talk to that guy who was driving that car.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I know it's a different time, but I want to talk to the guy who tells a not even two year old, Hey, get out of the road.
3: This is someone who probably can't answer back at this point. I mean, I just think about, our kids, when they were two years old, you know, they were just learning how to talk, and she wasn't even quite two yet. Yeah. She couldn't say, okay, I'll go back to my mommy, or right. "or can you help me? Was she, was she in a... Was she upset? Was she crying? Was she just walking? I just don't think a, a child goes that far without looking back to see where her, her mom, her sisters, I mean, her house, her dog it, is. It happens. It happens occasionally, you know, but... The grandparents are adamant that a fiend has taken her. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is based on the fact that perhaps they knew that she was taken.
2: Well, maybe it's a whole different kind of fiend. We'll talk about that on the Patreon episode. Thanks for listening to Strange Familiars everybody. The articles we presented in this episode in order were from the Reading Times, march thirty first, nineteen nineteen, The Daily News from Northumberland, Pennsylvania, april sixteenth, nineteen twenty five, The Reading Times, August third, nineteen twenty five, and August fourth, nineteen twenty-five. Our newsreader is Serrata. The music for the Broken Circle episodes is by Buell Kazi. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com If you're on Facebook, like the Strange Familiars page, and you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group and interact with other listeners and keep updated on different news and some behind-the-scenes stuff intro music is by stone breath go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more
4: The night being cold and clear, she looked and she saw her three little babes come running home to her. She set a table both long and wide, and on it bread and wine Come eat, come drink My three little babes Come eat, come drink of mine
5: We want none of
4: your bread, mother Neither do we want your Yonder stands our Saviour
5: dear,
4: and to him we must resign. Green grass grows over our heads, mother. whole clay is under our feet, and every tear. It went our winding sheet.